God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the time we get to spend together in your word. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us this morning, glorifying Christ and making him the most um, important thing in our own hearts. We spend a lot of time thinking through and intellectualizing and dissecting scripture, forgetting that many times that what we're trying to do is to get to know a person, the person of Christ and who He is and what He's done so that we love Him more and serve Him out of a heart that um, is drawn to His excellencies, His beauties, um, His kindness, His gentleness toward us. I pray that that happens a little bit more this morning as we go through this next passage in Acts, that you would be with us, that your Spirit would work in us, doing what the Holy Spirit has been uh, revealed to us to do, which is make much of Jesus in our midst. We thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen. amen. We are in Acts 14, steadily, slowly, moving toward the Acts uh, 29 convention. Just kidding. Acts 14, starting in verse 1. We're going to go through uh, verse 7 today. Um, The last time we were in Acts, we looked at Paul in one of the Antioch cities. Pisidian Antioch is what it was called. And there was some unreceptiveness of Jews there that led to... Uh, an expulsion, really, by the leadership of the town of Paul and Barnabas. Do you remember what Paul and Barnabas did as they left Pisidian Antioch? Remember the little sign? They dusted off their feet. They dusted off their feet. We talked about that for a little bit, what that meant. It was kind of a, a sign of the time. Do you remember what it, what it was? Isn't that what the, Jewish, like, what the Jews did when they went into Jerusalem because it was a holy city? Okay. Yeah, when they were coming back from a Gentile land, they knocked off what they considered the defiled dirt off of their feet to enter into the Holy Land or the Holy City. And here, Paul and Barnabas were doing it as a sign to the Jews. They were defiled. They were unholy. And they were unreceptive to the gospel. So we are knocking the dirt off of our feet to go onto Holy Land, the mission we have in the gospel to the Gentiles. If you read that, it gives kind of a sense that Paul, the Jew, becomes an anti-Semite right then. You know, he's just not going to do anything with the Jews. And that's not what's going on, because the next town we come to, we see them do, again, their usual custom. Um, That narrative last time uh, left on a, on a positive note, even though there was the, the dusting off of the feet, there was a, a witness of, of believers there in Antioch. Um, and then Luke here turns us to a city called Iconium. And that's about a 90-mile journey southeast of Antioch, so a little bit of a hike on foot. It was, again, a strongly Hellenistic city. Um, it had been a Greek city for a while before the Romans came in and conquered it. Uh, And it had received quite an honor for that day, uh, about two centuries under under Greek and Roman rule. Uh, It received an honor for that day. It was renamed, how would you like this to be the name of your city? Uh, Claudia Iconium. Claudia Iconium. Where are you from? 
I'm from Claudia Iconium. And then the reason that they got that name was from the Emperor Claudius, who was so, you know, gracious to them to allow them to name their city, at least partially, after him. So they had the honor of the emperor's name. And, well, anyway. They, it was a tendency. They, 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 the Roman emperors were known for their humility, you see. And, so. and the location that it's in uh, is the most, was the most, is the most ideal spot from a human settlement uh, standpoint in that location. It's a pretty barren, desolate region. And we have evidence of a town there still today. And, and the archaeological records show it going all the way back to this time and, and, and before that uh, there's always been a town at Iconium. All right, let's look at chapter 14. There's a little background of the city. Heavily Gentile, very significant Jewish presence since the time of the Greeks, and we begin in, in verse 1. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So, naturally, they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of His grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Let's stop there for now. What do they do first? These, these, I'm going to shake the dust off my feet against the Jews, ministers, missionaries. What do they do? They go to... Synagogue. They go to the synagogue. They go. What is, and what do we say the, the synagogues were in every town? What were they? Place of refuge. Place of refuge for Jewish culture. Everything happened. It was the center of Jewish culture in the town. Weddings happened. <laughs> Sabbath morning stuff happened. Education happened. Um, other stuff happened. They, were, they had they had judicial uh, things going on, court stuff within their own society. There, so they go to the center of Jewish culture in the town. Why is that a good idea? Why is that a good idea? What were the two things we talked about why this was a good move on Paul's part? Number one, he's a Jew, right? There's familiarity there. There's launching pad material for the gospel, right? Who else is there at these synagogues? Just Jews? God-fearing Gentiles. Uh, and so you have, again, a doorway, a familiar doorway, into the Gentile culture within a city. So that's what a lot of people think why he went there. The ESV translates it, they entered together. And the NASB does as well. The NIV translates it, as usual, they went to a synagogue. It's appropriate, it's acceptable translation, it probably gives a sense of what was going on. Just, I prefer the ESV. Anyway, so the, th the thing that we, we see here, Paul never gave up on the Jews. Some did believe, and here we see uh, that the gospel in verse 1 uh, bears fruit among the Jews and the Greeks. All right, what was the response of the unbelieving Jews. What does it say they did? They poisoned the minds. It's pretty strong language. What do you think that means? 
spreading spreading lies and spreading rumors and basically just turning them against the uh, against Paul regardless. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a there's a sense in the language that that um, I mean, it usually means ill treat, but it can also mean to embitter embitter someone against someone else, and that's kind of what the sense we have here. They're working actively to cause bitterness against and against whom? What does the text say? The brothers. Now, isn't that interesting? Who is he talking about? Who are the brothers? The believing Jews Jews and Gentiles, probably. So the believing people that he talked about in verse 1. Isn't it interesting that already they're brothers? What had kept them divided, I'm Jew, I'm Greek, right here, Luke, in Christ, already identifies them as brothers. I find that incredibly interesting. All right. What's the response by Paul and Barnabas? And this is what stuck out to me the most. It got real difficult. It got hard. So they found the A train out. What does it say? They spoke boldly. Okay, we have opposition. So Luke's natural construction of the sentence is they have opposition. So they stayed a long time and spoke boldly. It didn't say they stayed a long time accommodating the message to the culture so that it was a little less. They stayed a long time saying, yeah, even though the Bible says this is sin, other people have different opinions on this, so you really don't need to worry about it. No, they spoke boldly. They spoke boldly. Um, what have we seen Luke use this language to indicate? Speaking boldly calls to mind something. Reminds me of the power of the Holy Spirit. Right. The first time we saw that was with Peter on the day of Pentecost. He spoke bold, filled with the Holy Spirit, he spoke boldly. And Luke uses that terminology again and again and again to say these guys just aren't on their own. This is the Holy Spirit moving them to say uh, what they're saying. And <clears throat> what else does that mean? What else are they not doing? They, they're not tinkering with the message. It, what would that message be, by the way, in this kind of culture? Think about it. You've got a pluralistic culture, right? You go in and you say, there's a Messiah. He's come. He's lived. He died. He rose again. And there is no salvation but through Him. What about my Phrygian brother who still worships the pagan gods over here? You're telling me he's condemned? What about my Greek brother over here who worships the panoply of God? You're telling me he's condemned? He's just as nice a guy as you are. Do you think that that is hateful speech to these people? Do you think that that is Greekophobic? Do you see? There's nothing new under the sun. 
hostility toward the message of the gospel has always been there from the beginning. It should not surprise us that we see old men talking about it again today and yelling at people in houses of Congress. It's always been there. This is Christianity. The core of it is, there is no name under heaven and earth by which men may be saved. And if you're not saved, what are you? You're lost, you're condemned. That's Christianity. All right. Did you correct me on something? Did I say something? Yeah, you said there's no name. There's no other name. <laughs> all right, fine. No, there's none. We're all... Con uh. <laughs> I preached to you today a message of despair. <laughs> there is no other name under heaven and earth by which men may be saved but Christ. I'll there clarify. Tammy, the record keeper. Thank you. I would have had to retract it later anyway. All right. So they didn't water down the message. What else did they not do? They didn't leave. Stir up hatred against the rumor spreaders. They didn't stir up hatred against the rumor spreaders. All right. Uh, they also didn't ghetto up, did they? They also didn't have these little conclaves where they stayed in their little churches and didn't uh, and didn't uh, you know navel gaze. Talk about processes. Uh, and and and. Gosh, how bad the world is getting. What are they doing? They're out in the world, right? They're out in the culture, speaking boldly. I, I do think, that when we say, when we hear boldly, sometimes we think um, all the caricatures of John Knox, you know, yelling, all this stuff. Boldly here means they're out there preaching the gospel. And I, I envision this just from some other things that, I've, that we see with Paul. He's not yelling at people. I really think he's pleading. I think there's a lot of pleading going on. Be recon you see this in his letters. Be reconciled to God. We have a ministry of reconciliation. So when it says boldly, don't think fire and brimstone preaching. Although I'm sure there was fear of the wrath to come. Don't, why would you die? Those kinds of pleas. But don't, but don't assume that it's angry preaching. Um... So they go out and they preach boldly and what happens? What happens? Divided. They're divided. Something else is happening though. The Lord was their witness. How? In what way? Doing miracles. Doing miracles. And he didn't go into detail about what those were. <clears throat> but we see this again here. We've seen it before. We'll see it again later on. There is this idea in the New Testament church where prior to the canon being closed, there is a witness to the authority, the truth of the message being preached by the Holy Spirit, confirming it with these signs and wonders. And we'll see some next time with a, a, a man being healed, uh, a lame man being healed. And there are other things that go on. We see this in, in Hebrews 2, 4. Uh, while God bore 
also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. There's a bearing witness to the word of His grace. That's why these miracles are granted. So they're not ghettoed up in their churches. They're not holed up with just believers looking around at each other going, what do we do, what do we do? That's weak sauce. Not these guys. They are not going to be intimidated. They remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord. And it just brings to mind to me the, the mission of Christ setting His face toward Jerusalem. You see that same intensity here. I'm not going to be put off message because some people are yelling at me. Um, but the longer you stay, the more opportunity you have to tick people off. So the city becomes more polarized. Let's look at verses, verses 4 through 7. But the people of the city were divided. How amazing it is that the city is engaged in this. The whole city, it gives a sense that the whole city is engaged in it. Are we for the Jews or are we for the apostles, right? That's when you know you're effective, I guess, as a church. <laughs> when you have the city actually talking about what you're doing. Um, but the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with the, their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycona and the surrounding country, and they continued to preach the gospel. All right. So, what were the sides of the division again? Jews and the apostles. Who's he talking about? Who's he, who are the apostles? Who are the apostles here? Paul and Barnabas. Now this is weird because everywhere else Luke uses the term apostles, he means the twelve. Why is he calling Paul and Barnabas apostles here? They represent all the apostles. It's the same message. Doctrine. Okay, and that's kind of that's what I thought too, and I and I still think that there's some of that going on. There's a term. The term apostles is a general term as well. It means an emissary, someone who represents another. Okay, so the twelve apostles are emissaries of Christ with with the doctrine that He gave them. Um, the apostles here, Luke only uses it here in this verse 4, and then again in verse 14 to refer to Paul and Barnabas. And he specifically says, apostles, Paul and Barnabas in verse 14. We'll get to that next week. Lord willing, the creek don't rise. But the, the issue here is that he seems to be using it more as a general term of an emissary. And, and I, think, I think there's some of that, they're representing the, the twelve, their doctrine, What's another way that that can be looked at? Who else are they representing? Who else are they being sent out from? Christ. Yes. Always a good answer in Sunday school. Specifically in our text, um, well, the previous text that we've looked at, how did they come to this mission? What, how did it start? Jesus. The church in? Was it Jerusalem or somewhere else? It was somewhere else. Very good. You're right on track. It was Antioch, yes. 
So the Antioch, the other Antioch, not Pisidian Antioch, but the one before that, they were sent out by a Hellenized church, a, a predominantly Hellenistic church that was seeking to have a mission toward Gentiles. And so the idea here with Luke is that they're apostles of Antioch, right? They're, they're emissaries from Antioch. So he uses that term, it seems, in a more general way here, uh, a lot of people argue, to refer to Paul and Barnabas. But I, I think I'm more in line with what Clint's talking about. I think that he's actually using it, there are only two ways here. There are those who oppose the gospel, and there's the doctrine of the apostles, the doctrine that of the gospel of Christ that they give witness to. And so I, I tend to agree that he's putting it in that, in that frame here. The only thing that gives me pause on just do, being dogmatic about that is verse 14 where he says, Apostles Paul and, and Barnabas. So take with a grain of salt that opinion. Uh, it, it, it has a general use. Just be aware that whenever he says apostle, he's not talking necessarily about the twelve when he refers to Paul and Barnabas. Some people get all hung up on that. The thirteenth apostle and all this kind of stuff. So anyway, just wanted to, wanted to deal with that. Um, okay. Okay, so why would Luke use it in a general way here? Apparently this opposition grows into something very serious. A plot hatches to stone them. Have we seen stoning before in Acts? Or at least uh, intent to do so? Stephen. Stephen. Now was that a mob thing or was that a, let's be orderly and fashionable about how we exercise um, our, our, our execution statutes here in Jerusalem. Seemed to be kind of a mob thing, even though it was sanctioned by the leadership, right? Including Paul. Uh, here, he had the same kind of idea. There's a mob thing going on. Uh, there, the Gentile population is equally involved with the Jews. And then something happens. What do Paul and Barnabas do here when they learn of this plot? They let, why? That seems kind of... I mean, I thought they were being bold here. Well, they wanted to continue to preach the gospel and there wasn't the time. Here's an argument for not seeking martyrdom. Right. <laughs> you know, some of the guys in the second century were like, I want to be martyred, I want to be martyred, I want to have that, you know, whatever. No! <laughs> Bad move. If it happens, it happens, but don't seek it out. Right. And, you know, I don't know. Just being aware of your environment, you know, like, oh, this is not going to be good. Yeah, this doesn't everybody need... Everybody getting together against us. Right, right. So, you, you have them fleeing to Lystra and Derby, which which is going to be ironic later. We'll see that later in the chapter. <clears throat> but Matthew Henry says it this way. In times of persecution, believers may see cause to quit a spot, though they do not quit their master's work. And how do we see that they're not quitting their master's work? What does he say? How does he, they're continuing to preach. He doesn't stop them. And the cool thing is, we'll see at the end of this chapter, they come back. To Antioch 
they come back to these places that they suffered persecution to encourage the believers who are there to, to build up the church, to continue to do it. It's not like they're, oh, I'm never going there again, they've got knives. They're, they do, they're just, we need to diffuse the situation. We're going to get out, and hopefully it'll calm down when we come back later. Uh, Calvin describes that Paul and Barnabas were compelled by violence to depart to another place. And so we've got verses 6 and 7 are kind of introductory for the next mission in Lystra. Uh, and, and it gives that nod to the surrounding country, which, which probably included smaller towns in the, in the countryside. Um, so what do, you, what do you think then? Uh, uh, you have here uh, a town that's a city that becomes, that there's a work being done. It is uh, growing. They are having believers come to faith, or people come to faith and become believers. And yet there's this massive opposition. We, in our mindset today, think in terms of closed countries, don't we? Do they have that mentality here? No. There's a push constantly to, to go further than anyone has gone, than, than, no, than any man has gone before, or person, I guess now. I mean, um, to, to share the gospel with those who have yet to be reached. And Paul talks about this in, in his letters. I want to go where nobody's gone before. I don't want to build on another man's work. The, the idea of boldness in the face of opposition, what does that look like today, do you think? Because, I mean, obviously, we're, we're facing a, a, an increased hostility with some loud voices in the culture about the tolerance of Christianity toward other religions. How do we deal with that? Cry on Facebook. That's always helpful. It's always helpful. I would say speaking up and speaking with kindness. Uh huh. Because it can be very tempting to try to repay that with, you know, with something that's less than kind. Sure. Uh, but speaking with kindness and just simply sharing sharing the gospel rather than um, rather than seeking to be the loudest voice. Right. I mean, sometimes you have to be direct and abrasive. Sometimes that's necessary, um, but not in every context. Um, the Puritans used to say to, to the, the law to the proud, uh, grace to the humble, right? So if someone is coming at and attacking Christianity or, or Christ or the gospel, the response can be, if, this, if the need arises, more aggressive. But I think our the hardest thing for us is to maintain composure and realize they're not rejecting us, they're rejecting Christ and they're going to deal with Him and we're just here to be bold with the message regardless of the consequences of how we may look in the public, how we may look on the news. This is the message and I, you know, the recent events, I think the guy did well in the, in the hearing with just, I'm a Christian, what do you expect? This is the message. Um, so, and that, that's going to happen at work. That'll happen at school. Yeah, what are you talking about? Oh. <clears throat> uh, somebody felt the burn in a, in a um, Senate confirmation hearing. 
um, there was a, I forget who was a deputy, some, it, was, it was some kind of economics uh, position the guy was being interviewed for. Bernie Sanders um, got on to the guy for writing an article, um, well, backstory. Wheaton College had a professor that during some holiday wore a hijab and, and kind of identified with Muslims on, this, on the Christian holiday kind of thing so that she could be inclusive and tolerant and all this stuff. And Wheaton fired her for it. You're not, we're a Christian college, you don't do that. And he, this guy who's now the, this nominee, I guess he's been confirmed by now, but <clears throat> argued in, a, in writing that it's not Islamophobic, that's Christianity. There is no, there is no way to be saved other than Christ, and those who are not, Muslims and Christians do not worship the same God. According to John, neither do Jews and Christians, by the way. Right? I mean, doesn't John say, uh, let me see, who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Well, that's kind and inclusive. Here's one. This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Not loaded. Uh, no one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So you have a nice division within the country between uh, the Jews and the Apostles. What's the Apostles' doctrine? Christ alone. Right? It's easy uh, to get offended by that. It's easy to get uh, all the Klimt and Argonectigazoinks about it and, and to try to, to, to um, scratch our heads, doesn't this guy understand Christianity? No, he doesn't. He doesn't. It's, it's a hostile thing. Um, I think we face, yeah. and our kids face at school, persecution of sorts as far as being isolated maybe for for standing ground on who God is mm -hmm. um, because there are even those who go to church every Sunday who uh, have compromised on lots of issues and say you know of course God accepts this kind of sin why wouldn't he right these people love each other and, 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 and it's pushed by people who go to church every Sunday. Mm. And, and there's, I mean, you know, we've heard it from our own kids and we face it in, in the workplace or the culture of, of who are you to say who God, that's not who my God is. Yeah, those are red it, flag words. It's that, it's that, that compromise that, that is getting pushed. Yeah. Like, how, who are you to be dogmatic about right. who God is? Right. People create their own gods all the time. Yeah. I mean, you can have a basic layout for a Christian God that, you know, let's just tweak a few things the way I like it. Right. Know, so I can sing the way I want to or just live the way I want to. Right. And that, and that was, uh, that led to a lot of councils in the first, uh, in the second, third century about who Jesus is, who God is, what's the nature of God, is he Lord? Uh, we've had those recent arguments, the Lordship. You know, I heard it, well, something that just causes me a, right, a twitch in my right eye is whenever somebody says, 
I, I, had, I, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but it was many years before I made him my Lord. No. He is Lord, period. Um, you know, if, if you are going to be saved, it is saved under the Lordship of Christ. Um, and I think that kind of dichotomy allows for some of this, well, God and I are just going to have to disagree on that. I'm saved, but he and I are just going to have to disagree on this. You know, um, as if our opinions are equal. Yeah, you are creature, he is creator. There's a vast difference between that's, the nature. I think that's the, the bottom line point is that the humanistic side of us, we want, we want that equality, and that's why we, we wrestle only. And doesn't that bring us back to Genesis 3? You will be as God is. And we're still trying to do that. We're still trying to say, there are many paths to salvation. There are many paths. How, how, how uh, intolerant of you to say that there's only one. Who are you to tell me that? Well, I'm not. It's what your Creator has said. Take it up with Him. I'm just sharing the message. This is all I'm doing. Um, while back where it's like if I said of you your favorite color is purple which it's not you love soggy green beans you know whatever Um, I I can say all these things about you Mm -hmm. and who you are but if it's not true if you're telling me who you are and what you like that's exactly what God did in the Bible and of course his what he likes is absolutely true and right and good Mm. Not, not like us, but but he's a person is the point, and he likes certain things, and he is a certain way, and he's told us what he's like, and we we can either accept it or not, but he is who he is, and he's not who we say he is. Right. And and I think that's one of the biggest battles we we face each day in our culture is people taking the name of God, and then putting on him whatever characteristics mm. that, and whatever likes and dislikes they want. Right. I mean, he got a little mad about that um, when the Israelites were at the foot of the mountain and they said, no, our God is like this and made a little calf. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron said, and, and we'll, it just, we'll, we'll make a day to worship the Lord. The Lord. I mean, he oh. called it, Jeho- he called the calf Jehovah. Right. Um, and, and, Paul and Barnabas are to bring it on back. Paul and Barnabas are no, no, it's me. Uh, Paul and Barnabas are 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 not doing that. It would be easy for them to avoid plots and and anger and all of that by saying, "This is Jesus. He loves everyone the same." Or he's another option. Or he's an option. Yeah. Yeah, I think like in here when they're when they're preaching the gospel and. They don't have the canon right here, but they do have signs and wonders mm. to to um, confirm it for. Right. Them. And even like, I mean, I'm from Minnesota, so I mean, I told you last week we, we don't have churches on every corner, so yeah, we do here. Yeah, but here it's different. So you like you can go to church and you know believe different aspects yeah. of the gospel. Yeah. But even with that, like, you can look at a person's life, and you know, like I mean, if you believe that God's okay with that sin. Well, then you're enslaved to sin, and there's no joy or freedom right. in that life. So right. Even though we don't have signs, we, like there is evidence that you, you look at a person and see 
okay, there's something different about them because mm-hmm. of the Holy Spirit that involves us. Yeah, and, and there should be. There should be a, a, a marked change in our lives if we're in Christ. And we should be able to all see that in each other. Not perfectly, because all of us are in, in different stages, but certainly see the, the, the trend line of looking more and more like Jesus as we go on. Um, all right, any, any other any other observations you see in this section? Anything that you would say, this looks like this, and I saw this just this week. <laughs> I don't know about the text, but going off of what you were saying about the Wheaton Croft, the mm. job, she cited Pope Francis saying that uh, the Allah and the Catholic God are the same. Right, and she did, and and so I want to go back to what John said. That may echo the reformers. That this is the Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. I don't know that there was this uh, whole kidding. <laughs> They're just totally joking. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Uh, sorry, not sorry. Exactly. No, you can't have a Christianity that's milk toast on that issue. It is the message. That's the core issue. And and for those who say it's intolerant or whatever. <clears throat> we just got to deal with that. We got to we got to man up. So uh, long conversation, Eric's grandfather. Um, I just did. Eric's grandfather isn't a believer, um, but he he thinks he is, and I know this because we just had a long conversation about. Well, I believe in God. I just don't think you know uh, God is love. You can reincarnate. Blah blah blah. Anyway, lots okay. of different stuff. Right. That's fun. So it kind of came down to the fact that no, this isn't milk toast issue. Like, what do you do with the fact that this is, you know, God's word and he says these things mm-hmm. about himself and what what it came down to and why I like verse 3 because you can speak fully, but then it said who bore witness to the word of his grace. So what it came down to in the end and the way we were able to have conversations and him not just like walk away from me mm-hmm. is that I was like the only difference between you and me is that the same just God is the loving God you're mm-hmm. talking about and and it's by his grace I was saved so mm-hmm. it's not because you intellectually assent to just the, the belief right. in him the demons do that right and so it was just like hammering in that it's grace mm-hmm. he's a loving God to to let us know him and, and to be reconciled to him and so I like verse 3 that it that it says that they bear witness to the word of his grace right and Jesus said he, go ahead right he remained a long time <laughs> and Jesus says that he came to save and not to condemn because the world's condemned already what we are on is a mercy mission Everybody's condemned. We're born condemned. We're all in Adam, and Adam all die. And you know, it's very, it's very difficult to remember that when you're being, you know, the the, the fingers being pointed, you're intolerant, or whatever phrase they're using. That we're on a mercy mission, and and by people who don't want to be rescued, or or, or two people who don't want to be rescued, um, and yet. Christ came, and He bore the spit, He bore the beating, He bore the cross. Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. We, I, I'll just own it, don't often have that attitude. It's the, what do you think, think about what you're saying, you know, go into the, 
sin is irrational. We should expect that. It's absolutely irrational. Why would you fight the creator of the universe? Why would you wave your fist and rage against God? Really? That's a good move. It doesn't make sense. And yet, that's, that's, the, that's what we face. We're on a mercy mission. Um, so, anyway. Any, anything else? I guess not. We'll pray. God, I pray for hearts that are bold, that are quick and ready to be clear, concise, and convincing of the truth of the gospel, that there is no name under heaven and earth by which men may be saved but Christ. There's no other name. This is what we have. This is what we're given. And the darkness hates it. And there's no hope of success in this mission but for the work of your Holy Spirit. And so we pray, first, that the work would happen in our own hearts, making us bold. At work, at school, with our own families. Not to be angry, but to be... Uh, to have faces set to proclaiming a mission of mercy to those who don't want to hear it. I'm encouraged, and I, and I hope everyone else is too, Lord, to see that Paul never wavered from going to the very people who rejected him just about every time in every city. He goes to the Jews first. Would you make us that bold to look for those that we on the outside think there's no hope that this person is going to believe in Christ and give us boldness to preach the word extending the offer of mercy through the finished work of Christ and I pray that you would confirm your mercy by changing the hearts of men and women to love Jesus to repent of their sin and to serve Him as Lord for the remainder of their days. We thank You for all these things in Christ's name. Amen.